0: Welcome back to A Magical Life. I'm your host, Magic Barclay, and today, Annie Miller joins me, and we're talking sleep and chronic pain. Annie Miller is a licensed psychotherapist in private practice in the Washington, D.C. area in the U.S. She is the owner and founder of D.C. Metro Sleep and Psychotherapy. Annie specializes in working with sleep disorders, chronic pain, and trauma. And he uses a wide variety of evidence-based techniques, including CBTI for insomnia, EMDR for trauma, CBT for anxiety disorders, and PRT, which is pain reprocessing therapy for chronic pain. And he received her BA from the University of Pennsylvania and her MSW from the University of Chicago. Annie is a licensed clinical social worker in Maryland, the District of Columbia and Virginia. She has training from the University of Pennsylvania in CBT for insomnia, and he is also trained in EMDR, which is eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, and is one of a select group of therapists in pain reprocessing therapy. Welcome, Annie. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Now, I want to get straight into this because I've really been looking forward to an episode around sleep health. I think it's just so, so important. And I've spoken before to the listeners about the importance of a great morning routine to set up for a great night of good, restful sleep. But I think we really need to target the issue because So many people sleep so poorly.
1: Yes, that's definitely true. I agree with you.
0: Great. So look, I ask the same three questions of all of my guests. Everyone gives me a different answer. And the first one is, what can your expertise do to accelerate health? Not just physical health, but also emotional and spiritual health.
1: Yeah. So I really specialize in teaching people how to manage difficult emotions and difficult conditions in a way that's different from how people are used to thinking about them. So helping people understand conditions like insomnia and chronic pain and relating it to the brain and how the brain works, because, you know, the way that I see it, we are so used to being uncomfortable and immediately seeking relief. And in my opinion, getting to a healthier place is about learning how to tolerate discomfort and reduce fear around difficult sensations or emotions. So for instance, when I talk to clients I see about sleep, the biggest kind of piece of advice I have is talking to them about letting go of fear and worry about not sleeping. And it's a similar approach with pain. So the overall message is to shift your mindset and work on approaching things that may cause you discomfort differently. And changing your brain in this way can create more healthy responses.
0: Very much so. And I know personally, I've found on nights that I struggled to get to sleep, definitely lying in bed going, I can't get to sleep makes things a lot worse.
1: Yes, that is exactly right. So that's one of the things that we can talk about is, you know, and that one of the things I teach my clients is lying in bed, trying to sleep and gives your brain this wide open space to worry. And so changing your habits and thoughts around sleep is essential to getting better sleep.
0: Definitely. Now we talk about wealth here as well, and people think that's just financial wealth. And I guess it is, tied in, but also personal and emotional wealth. So what are your top three tips to creating wealth?
1: Yeah. The way I see this can tie into some of the other things. So I think the first thing I would really recommend is patience. So anytime we put pressure on something to happen right now, right away, quick fix, it's going to make the situation much less likely to happen. So approaching changing your situation, whether it's financial or, you know, another kind of wealth with a sense of ease and peace and without pressure, with more patience is really important. And it's similar to how I think about sleep as well. And the second thing I would suggest is to find within yourself a sense of confidence so I think it's really important to believe that you're capable and to feel like you really believe in what you're doing and you're worth, like that you have something important to share and to really dig in and find that self-belief. Because if that's not there, it's going to be really hard to be successful. And the third thing that I would suggest is resilience. So the path to creating success is going to have ups and downs. It always does, you know, life is complicated. And so it's really important to be able to weather the successes and failures and to pick yourself up and learn from each bump that you face because that's how we create resilience. So resilience is a really important thing that you need to have in order to really, be successful.
0: Fantastic. And our final standard question, and I know you mentioned to me off air that you're not comfortable with this question. We do talk about weight loss. So all I'm going to say is from a scientific standpoint, there's a big link between weight issues and sleep health. Have you come across any kind of link like that in practice?
1: Yes. And, you know, I just, I personally am not a specialist. You know, there's a lot of therapists out there who focus on weight and body image and eating, and that's not one of my specialties. (laughs) But I do think that there are a lot of overlaps with trouble sleeping and even with chronic pain and weight issues or over-focus on eating and eating-related issues And so I do think there's overlaps. A lot of research shows that poor sleep is linked to, you know, weight gain. In addition, chronic pain is linked to weight gain. But generally speaking, you know, I view this topic in a similar way that I view, you know, sleep and chronic pain is that the more pressure we put on it, the more
0: focus we have on it
1: the harder it's going to be to change.
0: Definitely. Well, that's our standard three questions, Annie. Now I really want to open up the floor to everything that you do in practice. So tell us what it's like working with sleep and and I guess, how did you get into working in this field? Yeah, great.
1: So I had kind of stumbled into this field. So particularly with sleep, I was always interested in in sleep because I kind of joke that I come from a family of four sleepers. <laughs> and so, you know, my knowledge of sleep and just kind of seeing this play out difficulty sleeping was there, you know, in childhood from watching family members go through this. And so when I became a therapist, I started out as a, just a talk therapist and I took a, a CBT for insomnia course and it was just, I really connected with the material and it kind of snowballed from there. And then CBTI is this really evidence based treatment for insomnia that works really well. And so when you start working with clients and seeing them get better, it's kind of like, you know, amazing as a therapist because you have this therapy that works really well and you can really help people with their sleep so i was kind of sucked on working with sleep from there
0: so how do you quantify good sleep or restful sleep like what are people looking for are they looking for feeling refreshed in the morning or are they looking for you know feeling mentally refreshed like what are the goals of restful sleep And I guess, how much sleep do we need to get? You know, these
1: are good questions because there are a lot of people out there who view their sleep as being, you know, bad or not restful. But when we actually look at it, it's, you know, they're doing pretty well, all things considered. So, you know, I really base how restful sleep is on how someone's feeling keeping in mind that there's a lot of factors that go into like feeling tired, for instance. It's not just about the sleep, but what CBTI does is it helps refine your habits and thoughts to make it a lot easier to get restful sleep. And in terms of the the number of hours, this is a really good question. And I think it's actually one of the common misconceptions about sleep that people have. You know, most people out there, think we need eight hours of sleep, right? And for you, right, you're working in nutrition, functional nutrition, right? And if we all needed to eat the same foods, that wouldn't make sense, right? It can't be true that every single person needs the same amount of sleep. So eight hours has sort of become this standard. And some people do need eight hours, but I would say most healthy adults need somewhere between six and nine hours. For some people, six is great. And then there are short sleepers who actually need more like five hours. And that's that's a more unusual, but they're out there. And what their biggest struggle is, is that they're trying to get eight hours. And so they're lying there for this extra three hours trying to make it work when it's not what their body needs. So... You know, the overall goal is not to meet a certain standard that you think you need to meet. It's to kind of see what works for your body, typically thinking of that six to nine hour range.
0: I know for myself, pre-menopause, I was the short sleeper, five hours, four 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 and a half to five was the sweet spot. And then when menopause hit, I became pretty much 7.2. So, you know, going to bed at 10 p.m. and then waking up at about quarter past five in the morning, you know, even without an alarm clock, that's just the way it went after menopause. So definitely there is no set number that I've found for people like try and get eight hours for me at any point in my hormonal life just won't work.
1: It's really interesting. No, I appreciate you sharing that because it's, I think that's really helpful because it's, it, for a lot of people, they're feeling frustrated and thinking that they're doing it wrong, but we're all different. We all have different needs. And just as you, you know, shared with your own experience, our needs change over time. So if it's one thing now, it may not be set that way and you know going through different experiences you know like becoming a new parent for instance changes their sleep other big milestones in life sometimes change sleep so yeah it's important to to have a broader perspective on it
0: definitely now what are some important things that you would like to talk to the listeners about
1: would it be helpful for me to kind of give you an overview of how i work with clients Uh, doing
0: CBTI? Definitely. I'm sure many people haven't heard of what it is.
1: Yeah. So CBTI, again, is CBT for insomnia. And a lot of listeners may have heard of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT for insomnia is actually different and it's its own thing. So what it's based on is changing thoughts and habits around sleep. And it's a really evidence-based treatment, meaning that there's a lot of research out there that's been done looking at how effective it is. And it's really amazing. I mean, most of the research shows that it's between 70 and 80% effective, which is amazing for a treatment that doesn't involve medication. So that's what it is. And then it's really about, you know, these specific strategies that, Can impact what's called your sleep drive. So what sleep drive is, is it's that innate need that your body has to sleep. So we want to increase your sleep drive. And in order to do that, I have clients keep a sleep diary that has pretty specific questions to track their sleep. And then once I can see what their habits are and what their patterns are, I'll have them follow a set of rules and Specifically, we're doing no clocks in the bedroom. So that's the first thing I want them to do. And for some people, the (laughs) no clocks is kind of a funny thing and it feels weird, but that connection, how much longer do I have to sleep? The checking and the attention to it is not helping with sleep. The next thing that I have people do is to make sure that they're using the bed only for sleep. So this involves like no reading, no watching TV, no looking at your phone in bed. So most people think that this therapy is gonna be about restricting screens, but it's really just about paying attention to what you're looking at and where. <laughs> so if you're looking at something upsetting before bed in bed, that's you know a big no-no and that's not gonna help. So we are careful about the content and, but specifically trying to develop a strong, what we call conditioned response to the bed being for sleep. So if we use the bed only for sleep, you know, we start to have more of that conditioned response. I also make sure that what people are doing, if they can't sleep, is to get up and get out of bed. So this is what we like touched on a little bit before. If you're lying in bed, trying to sleep, your brain has this wide open space to worry. Think about everything you didn't do. And we don't want that. So if you can't sleep, get up, get out of bed, go do something quiet and come back into bed when you feel sleepy. I encourage people, and this is a really important thing, even though it's not the most popular one of these rules, is to wake up at the same time every day, no matter what, seven days a week, and to go to bed at about the same time or later. So we're not going to bed early. And there's a component of this that is called sleep restriction, um, where we're, setting a window of time to sleep within that window. You don't want to get in bed early and you don't want to sleep late. And then there's a couple other things we work on. So another rule is not to nap during the day. And if you do need a nap, a short nap, 15 to 20 minutes. Um, and then giving yourself a buffer zone before bed, just time to relax so we don't want to be working, working right up until it's time to bed, to go to bed, and then expect just to be able to have our brains, you know, relax, because that's not typically the way it works. Um, and then, you know, there are the thoughts about sleep too. So that's the the cognitive component is the thoughts, the fe- you know, the fear-based thoughts. What if I don't sleep? You know, if I need this amount of sleep in order to feel okay, And so that's CBTI.
0: I think there's some great points in there, and I certainly found for myself. You know, I I used to love watching YouTube in bed before I went to sleep, and particularly loved the true crime things or, uh, you know, the the cemetery (laughs) stories and things like that. And it it took me quite a while to realise that was actually stopping me from getting to sleep. So definitely, I love the tip of the bed is just for sleeping. That's, you know, that's what you do. That's a great takeaway.
1: Yeah. And if we think about this in terms of the idea of conditioning, so most people may remember conditioning from like a psychology class that they took where we learned about Pavlov and the dog's And so basically what we learned through that is we can start to condition ourselves to have a response. And with Pavlov, he would ring a bell and then feed dogs. And he did that consistently to the point where they would salivate and expect food after they heard the bell. And so we want to get in bed and have this very clear association. The bed is for sleep. And this is much more powerful than people realize it is, the way our patient response is. So we want a really clear association.
0: Very much so. Now, something I've found with sleep is certainly in my clinical practice, a lot of people have cortisol issues. So whether their cortisol awakening response is off, whether, you know, their their cortisol is kind of switched around. And so it's highest at the evening rather than the morning. So what are some ways that you help people stop that cortisol cycling response that's keeping them awake?
1: Yeah. And it's a good point. I would say most people that I see have some level of this problem. Many, many people have, they're more awake at night. They kind of have that push at night when it's really supposed to be that our body is releasing melatonin to make us feel sleepy, but it, it ends up being that our circadian rhythm gets shifted off. And, you know, a lot of that's due to stress and anxiety and, you know, the fear about sleep and stress around, you know, bedtime can put our brain into that state as well. So, Um, what I do with people is to, I mentioned this a little bit before, but it's to try to increase sleep drive. So getting your sleep drive higher basically is you're so sleepy when you start to do some of this stuff that you need to sleep and it starts to shift your circadian rhythm back to, you know, the natural normal way that it's supposed to function It's a little bit like ripping a Band-Aid off sometimes because we have to kind of go through a a little bit of a tough point to get to having more functional sleep, having more sleep drive. So it can be a little uncomfortable sometimes to do this, but if you keep your wake time the same, so that's the starting point that I would recommend is what happens with most people is that when you feel more awake at night, you stay up later, and then to compensate, you sleep later because you, you know the thought is, "Well, I I can't function if I don't get X amount of sleep," and so we just end up pushing it, and then it becomes a cycle that's repeating. So if you pick a wake time, no matter what time you go to bed, and you keep doing that the same time every day, eventually you're going to be really really sleepy. So even if you get a very small amount of sleep, you know, especially that first night, second night, you're going to get through the day, you're going to be okay, and you're going to be sleepy. And that's what we want. And that's kind of the process behind this. And I I do it a little more with, based on like the, what I'm seeing, you know, from the person who's tracking their sleep and the sleep diary, and that part of it's important too.
0: So when setting the bedroom up for good sleep or for healthy sleep what are some tips that you have like block out blinds no light you know what what are some things that you find you're suggesting
1: yeah so um having the room be dark is important having it be cool is also important um you know, the thing I mentioned before about not having clocks in the room, that's incredibly important as well. Um, so, you know, we don't want to have access to, even if you keep, like, if you sleep with your phone right next to your bed and you wake up and your habit is just to pull up the phone, you're going to see what time it is. We don't want to do that. So you can set an alarm, you can per, either turn the clock around or put something over it, like, we just don't want to have access to see the time. Um, you know, those are some of the basic things. I think, um, you know, it's much more about like the habits and routines. It, it does really help to have a dark pool room with no clocks. But what we're doing around sleep, I think, is even more important.
0: So there's a lot of talk about no screen time for two hours before sleep. What are your thoughts on that? And for the people that, you know, watch TV leading up to sleep, is there a time buffer there that they should be considering?
1: Yeah, you know, I think this is something that a lot of people wonder about um, and ask about. And the way that I see this is maybe different than some other people and the way they see it. But um, there are some people out there who have... Uh, what's called circadian rhythm issues where like they're up really, really late or even they're going to bed really, really early. And if that's the case, sometimes light and screens can impact the circadian rhythm. It can, and it, it can have an impact. Most of us aren't as sensitive to it. So Let's say you're what you had mentioned about watching the the true crime kind of stuff, particularly in bed. And I know it's tempting and a lot of people do this, right? So I totally understand why and many people out there are doing that. But crime and true crime, even though it's very appealing, it can get you kind of worked up and it can put your brain into a place of stress because you're thinking about difficult things. And so... I, I think sometimes those things aren't helpful. Watching a horror movie before bed is not helpful. But if it is relaxing to watch TV before bed, I'm all for it. You know, watching like a light, easy show. One of the the things, like the examples I give is something like a nature documentary because it's you can turn it off pretty easily. It's not too engaging. And for many people, they find it really relaxing. So something like that, a nature documentary, as long as you're not watching it in bed, I personally feel like I support that.
0: Terrific. What about sounds in the bedroom? So I know, you know, some people like to have the relaxation music going or, you know, the car map or something like that. Is that helpful in getting to sleep? And more so, is it helpful in staying asleep?
1: You know, something like a white noise machine, I think can be really helpful because it helps to drown out background noises. So it makes it less likely that you'll wake up and hear something or that sounds will disrupt sleep. So something like that, I, I do recommend, but you know, like the calm app and other meditation apps, I love them. I'm a huge, huge fan of meditation for everyone. I think that the problem with doing that before bed is that we start to think, and especially some, some people more than others, will start to think, well, I really need to fall asleep by the end of this meditation. And then you're preoccupied with thinking about that during the meditation. And you're worrying about what happens if I don't fall asleep? Am I going to start another one? What am I going to do then? And then it, it ends up becoming kind of a stressor and it, Defeats the purpose of meditation. So I recommend meditation before. And if people really feel connected to it, it's okay to listen to it. I just we are we're aiming for 15 to 20 minutes of lying in bed trying to sleep. And if if it's not working at that point, you're going to get up and get out of bed. So as long as you kind of have this in mind and work within that framework, I think, you know, you can use some of these tools.
0: Terrific. Now we've covered quite a few points here. Is there anything else that you feel the listeners need to hear?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I generally want people to know that more sleep is not necessarily better. So if you've ever had this experience where you have not such a great night Typically, the next night is better because of what we talked about before, which is sleep drive. So not thinking about more as being better. It's more about trying to establish good patterns and routines. And it's so important to let go of the worry and the fear because that's just creating more of a problem of insomnia.
0: Great. Now, Annie, people can find you on Instagram at dc.metro.therapy. You're on LinkedIn, Annie Miller, MSW, LCSW, CLICSW, and then B4859424. You're also on Facebook at DC Metro Sleep and Psychotherapy. Before I let you go, we love freebies here. So what can you offer the listeners and where can they find it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of
1: information on my website, dcmetrotherapy.com. So there's, there's a blog and I also, I mean, I have an online course on there for chronic pain, which hopefully some people will be interested in. But my Instagram, I think, is probably the best source of information. There's videos and posts and a lot of helpful tips and information that I give on there. So hopefully that'll be helpful.
0: Wonderful. Annie, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And listeners, thank you for your time. Go on ahead to Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to this podcast. Please leave us a review. We certainly do appreciate all of your feedback. And for now, go forth and create your magical life. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to hear future episodes, leave a review, and share this podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, at a magical life podcast or at holistic natural health Australia that's holistic with a w you can find us on instagram at holistic natural health or at www.holisticnaturalhealth.com.au that's where you'll access all sorts of articles freebies and more